You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Rates and Lanes podcast. I am your host, Rico Muhammad, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia tonight. Uh, we are going to get back into the saddle again. We have a uh, good bit of information that we want to bring to you guys tonight. Of course, we always welcome your participation. You can press the number one. That puts you in the call screener's queue, and we will come to you and get your call screened in and get you up and on board with us so that you can ask your question tonight. Uh, we're going to start off tonight's show as we normally always do. That is with the USDA Fruit and Vegetable Truck Rate Report. Uh, we use this report as an indication of where there may be some places that we can take advantage of the spot market that's out there uh, and some places where we can go and position our trucks and our equipment to possibly get a good bit of uh, money on the spot market if we're working that spot market. Also, there is some other information that is uh, in the report that we don't really quite go into, but we got a copy of the report up for you over on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page for your viewing pleasure. You can go right over there and click on that report, click on the link, and it'll take you to the report for you to delve into the rest of that information that is available. But with no further ado, looking at the USDA report, we have a little bit of movement in a couple of different markets. There's only one market right now that is showing an outright shortage of trucks on the load-to-truck ratio, and that is coming out of the eastern North Carolina market. That market is showing an outright shortage of trucks, so there may be some serious opportunities to be had. If you're working that spot market, if you can get over there to that eastern North Carolina area, some opportunities may be able to be had there. Uh, other areas that are showing slight shortages of trucks in the area, Aristoke County, Maine, and also Mexico crossing through Texas. Those are the only other two areas that are showing slight shortages. Every other market that is uh, representative on this report are showing adequate supplies of trucks in those particular markets. So there are three particular markets that there may be some opportunities to be had. Uh, The most advantageous of those three is Eastern North Carolina. Moving right along, uh, jumping over into this week's DAT trend lines report. Uh, Van and reefer rates stayed neutral for this past week. This report covers March 4th through the 10th. The national average van rate held steady at $2.14 per mile for the third week in a row. The average reefer rate was also unchanged. In contrast, the national average flatbed rate rose $0.11 per mile, and the load-to-truck ratio for flatbeds hit a record high of almost 90 to 1 last week. Let's take a look a little bit deeper into the report, looking at the uh, National Van and Demand Capacity Report for the previous week of March 4th through the 10th. Van load postings declined by 1%, while truck posts increased by 3%. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to dip by 4% from seven loads per truck dropping down to 6.8 loads per truck. That's still more than double the van ratio of this time last year. The national average van rate was unchanged, however. Taking a look back historically, the van load-to-truck ratio stepped down after reaching record highs in January. Van Van load load post declined 26% in February compared to January, and truck posts increased by 4%. As a result, the February load-to-truck ratio fell by 29%, dropping down to seven van loads per truck. 
January's ratio was 185% higher than it was in February of 2017. Taking a look, jumping over into the national rates for the previous week for dry vans. Uh, and I, I'm sorry, uh, fuel prices. Fuel prices was uh, went down by 0.3 percentage points, uh, dropping down to a national average of $2.98 per gallon. Now, uh, van rates hold steady for the week of March 4th through the 10th. The national average van rate has held steady at $2.14 per mile for the week, uh, for the uh, third week in a row. That follows seven weeks of declining rates that began in early January. The load-to-truck ratio for vans has dipped 4% compared to the previous week. Taking a look back historically, the national average van rate for February was $2.13 per mile. That is down 11 cents compared to the record high experienced in January. The rate was 51 cents higher than the average in February of 2017. Taking a look around the country by region, um, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, we have Philadelphia, Pennsylvania being the representative city. They are showing average spot market rates of $2.18 per mile. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia being the representative city, they're showing an average spot market rate for dry vans at $2.40 per mile. Moving on up into the Midwestern portion of the United States, we have Chicago, Illinois, checking in, setting the benchmark for dry vans at $2.67 per mile on average. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, we have Dallas, Texas, being the representative city, showing $1.89 per mile on average for dry vans on the spot market. And wrapping up, Coming out of the city of Angels, the left coast, Los Angeles, California, showing an average spot market rate of $2.14 per mile. That wraps up the dry van portion of the DAT report. Let's jump over and see how flatbed load and capacity, uh, demand and capacity, was performing over the previous week of March 4th through the 10th. Flatbed load posts increased 10% and truck posts declined by 1%. That pushed the load-to-truck ratio 11% higher from 79.9 up to 88.5 loads per truck. That's the highest flatbed load-to-truck ratio ever recorded in Trendline's history. The national average flatbed rate gained 11 cents over the previous week. Taking a look back historically, compared to January, flatbed load post. Uh, okay, compared to January, flatbed load post increased 17% in February, while truck post declined 2%. The result that resulted in a 19% increase in the load to truck ratio compared to the previous month at 66.5 loads per truck ratio was 150% higher than in February of 2017. Taking a look at the national rates for flatbeds, the week of March 4th through the 10th, flatbed rates have risen for the fifth week in a row. Last week, the national average flatbed rate increased 11 cents to $2.50 per mile. Capacity in the flatbed market remains tight as load-to-truck ratio for flatbeds rose to almost 90 to 1 last week. Taking a look back historically, compared to January, the national average flatbed rate in February dropped by $0.01 cents down to $2.36 per mile. Flatbed rates are $0.40 cents higher than they were in February 2017. Taking a look around the country, 
starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania being the representative city. Uh, we show $3.86 per mile coming out of Harrisburg for flatbeds on the spot market. Moving down into Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta is showing the spot market outbound rate for flatbeds at $2.68 per mile on average. Moving up into the Midwestern portion of the United States, we have Rock Island, Illinois checking in, showing average spot market rates at $3.27 per mile coming out of Rock Island. Moving on to the South Central portion of the United States, we are showing that Houston, Texas being the representative city, uh, we show $2.67 per mile coming out of Houston, Texas. And wrapping up the flatbed report, we show coming out of Phoenix, Arizona, average spot market rate of $1.80 per mile coming out of Phoenix, Arizona. Moving on, jumping over into the refrigerated reefer report, the DAT trend lines report for this week. Uh, the National Reefer Demand and Capacity Report, reefer load post increased by 4% while truck post increased by 5%. That caused the national load to truck ratio for reefers to decline by 2%, dropping down from 10.6 loads per truck to 10.5 loads per truck. In February, the reefer load postings decreased 38% while truck posts increased by 2%. Compared to January, that caused the load-to-truck ratio to decline by 39%, dropping down to 9.8 loads per truck. The ratio was up 106% compared to February of 2017. Jumping in to the reefer rates for the previous week, the national average reefer rate held steady at $2.40 per mile for the second week in a row. The national load-to-truck uh, reefer ratio showed a slight decline from the previous week. Taking a look back historically, in February, the national average reefer rate was $2.42 per mile. That was $0.22 cents lower than the January average, which was the highest monthly average ever recorded in DAT trend lines history. Compared to February 2017, the rate was $0.56 higher than it was in February of 2017. And that, ladies and gentlemen, pretty much wraps up this um, – oh, I'm sorry, I didn't give the uh, regional report. The regional report for reefer rates on the spot market coming out of Elizabeth, New Jersey, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States. Uh, Elizabeth, New Jersey being that representative city, showing $2.18 on the spot market coming out of Elizabeth, New Jersey. Dropping down into the southeastern portion of the United States, we have Lakeland, Florida, showing $1.73 per mile on average coming out of Lakeland, Florida, moving up into the Midwestern portion of the United States, Green Bay, Wisconsin being the representative city showing it and actually setting the benchmark for reefer rates on the spot market at $3.32 per mile coming out of Green Bay, Wisconsin. Dropping down to uh, the Rio Grande, the South Central portion of the United States coming out of McAllen, Texas, $2.50 per mile on average for reefer rates. And coming out of the left coast, Fresno, California, showing average outbound spot market reefer rates at $2.19 per mile. That will wrap up this week's DAT Trend Lines report. And let's see, I got – and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, Chuck Snow is going to be joining us tonight. Uh, and I think that he's on the line. I got a message. Uh, I think I'm having a slight little problem with uh, call screeners, so we may have to go live when it comes to uh, when it comes to if you you guys if you got questions, you can press number one. We may not have a call screener with us tonight. I'm not sure 
if they are able to make it on board with us to uh, screen the calls. But without any further delay, um, I'm going to try to grab Chuck here in just a second. I got to find, I think this is him. Let's try this one right here. Chuck, is that you? Yes, it is, Rico. I thought that might have been. I was looking. I was looking through the numbers there. I was like, Ooh, "Wait a minute, is that him?" <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? I'm here finally. Ah, uh, somebody just reminded me. I didn't give out the uh, bad broker report. So hold on one more second with me, Chuck. Let me go. Sure. Um, luckily, we don't have a long bad broker report this Good. week. Good. I'm glad to hear that um, for everybody's sake. Right, right, right. So it's it's not too it's not terribly bad uh this week. So get your pen and papers ready, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh starting off this week's bad broker report will be uh Cart Brokerage Services LLC. Their DOT number is two two four seven nine eight. That MC number for them is three five four five five six. FMCSA shows that their trust fund is scheduled for cancellation, they have over $606,000 in non-payment complaints. Phoenix Logistics Supply Chain Solutions, Inc., their DOT number is 223-5419. Their MC number is 543-910. This broker has over $90,000 in unpaid carrier invoices. They are considered at an extreme risk. Willow Creek Transport and Brokerage, Inc., DOT numbers 218-6471. MC numbers 639-595. They have over $56,000 in payment complaints. Coast Logistics, LLC, DOT numbers 262-7007. Their MC number is 911 Zero zero one trust fund is canceled. Over fifty thousand dollars in active non-payment complaints have been reported. Recycling Revolution LLC. This is a shipper. Recycling Revolution LLC. Uh, this shipper has over seven thousand dollars in unpaid carrier invoices. Uh, Buzz Logistics LLC. Their DOT number is two three two. 4802, MC number is 792039. Trust fund is canceled. Over $42,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Brom Logistics, LLC, uh, Brom Logistics Inc., I'm sorry. Their MC number is 233-8160. MC number is 787926. FMCSA shows that the surety bond is canceled. Over $33,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Macro Logistics, LLC, Macro Transportation, LLC. Uh, that DOT number is 224-8202. MC number is 736-882. FMCSA shows trust fund is canceled. Over $150,000 in active non-payment complaints have been reported. Uh, Polar Transportation, Inc., Polar Solutions, Inc., MC numbers 567-053. FMCSA shows that the trust fund is set to counsel on 321-18. They have over, goodness gracious, $593,000 in active non-payment complaints that have been reported. Maywood Freight Company, Inc., their DOT number is 299-7358. MC number is 02243. FMCSA shows that the trust fund is canceled. Over $70,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Uh, AG Specialties LLC. FMCSA shows that the trust fund is canceled. Over $20,000 in uh, non-payment complaints have been reported. And the last one is Steadfast Transportation LL Transport, excuse me, Steadfast Transport LLC. Their MC number is 
FMCSA shows trust fund set to council, uh, counseled on 2817. They have over $28,000 in non-payment complaints that have been reported. And that wraps up this week's bad broker report. All right, Chuck, I apologize about that. No problem. Well, you know what? That bad broker report wasn't, it was painful, but not as painful as it's been other nights. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 a good thing, uh, and that was actually catching up from a couple of weeks that we when we missed the show. So uh, that was catching, like I say, that was catching up from a few weeks past. But it's still not never a good sign to see uh, the amount, especially one of them was almost six hundred thousand dollars in payment complaints. Good grief! Well, some of them are a lot more than that. I think we're just hearing about when you know when you're talking about ten or fifteen or or thirty thousand dollars. Even we're just hearing about part of it. We haven't got the whole um, the whole program. A lot of times, it's a lot more money than that. Right, right. Unfortunately, so Chuck, tell us what's new. What's new been going on with you guys? It's been a little while since we've had a chance to touch base with you guys. Uh, what's been new going on up there at Travis? Oh my gosh, there's, there's so much. There is like so much going on. Uh, first of all, I am a grandfather. Uh, my daughter-in-law, Kristen, gave birth to a oh. beautiful, bouncing baby girl. Uh, she's just congratulations on that. Well, thank you very much. Uh, she is just uh, she's the she's the light of my life. And I don't want to go on the show rambling on about my granddaughter, but it is a wonderful feeling. Uh, everybody is well. And uh, and we're enjoying her. The other thing that's going on is since we last spoke, we had just opened up our office in uh, in Montreal, and uh, on April, on March first, I'm sorry, we opened up an office in Oakville, Ontario, as well. So for now, I think we're done with opening up uh, satellite offices for the next little while. We're on to a a new thing of just. Uh, improving internal systems. We've had we've had a lot of growth, and now we have to get all of the other things done, you know, and strengthen other areas of the company now that we have the growth. So we've been busy. I'm getting ready to leave for Nats uh, for Mats next week. Uh, we're going to have a booth down in Louisville. So if any of our listeners are down there, please come by and see me. I'd love to meet you in person. Uh, it's always wonderful to meet people that listen to our show. And uh, I'll be down there with my daughter working the booth. So we've got lots to look forward to. Business has been crazy, crazy busy. Uh, I think the reports were very accurate. January was off the charts. February was a little bit slower, but when you factor in the number of days, it wasn't. Uh, it was a little bit slower than January, but not that much. But numbers were down just slightly. And March is turning out to be a lion. It's busy as heck out there. I don't know what our listeners are finding. What are you finding, Rico? Are things busy? Things have been busy, um, and I think that now uh, this is one of the things I wanted to try to uh, surround the show around, um, especially after our last conversation talking with Hank. Uh, when we had Hank on, we was talking about all the different things with the insurance things that a lot of the brokers are sneaking in. Uh, the 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 wording and a lot of the new broker contracts with the um, you know the insurance the, the the deal with the insurance where they are basically making you making your insurance almost null and void with some of the contingencies that are in the contracts that they are putting out there uh, may be a good time to. Maybe start shopping again for direct customers, especially now uh, with the market being that it, the way that it is. If you have the ability to maybe uh, uh, create that dumbbell and maybe even have an extra trailer where you can drop uh, to service a customer on uh, each end, it might be an opportunity to uh, really get just set yourself apart and set yourself up to do some. Uh, to do some good things right now. Well, you're partially right. I agree with you that the timing is always right if you if you have the ability to work with good customers directly. But if you don't, for God's sake, work with good brokers that have right. decent if contracts that out. aren't 
if you're dealing with brokers whose contracts are uh, have all sorts of uh, dangerous clauses in them, then you're going to get killed. And this goes back to something that you and I banter on probably uh, once every month or once every two months. What happens to, and this is the, uh, this is, I think, the biggest ruination of people out there. If you have a steady lane and you are servicing from point A to point B, then you're not going to get into problems with strange contracts because you're going to have steady brokers that are going to load you. And if you have those steady brokers that are going to load you, you will know what their contracts are. The problem is, is when you're from Arkansas and you're an owner-operator and you're in Portland, Oregon on a Friday afternoon and you're looking for a load, that's when our owner-operators get into trouble out there. And that's when they get into these horrible contracts with some snaky load broker that sneaks all sorts of things in. And they, contracts shouldn't be like that. They don't have to be. But unfortunately, we have some unscrupulous people in this industry, and a lot of times we're hearing about them on your bad broker report because that's where they end up because of those unscrupulous business practices. So I still maintain that you're further ahead a lot of times is concentrate on what you do best. And if that is running a truck, let the pros do the selling because it's so hard. I know as a, as a freight sales guy how hard it is as a rule. Uh, the hardest part for somebody that's operating a, a one truck or two trucks is to take the time out of the truck to build those relationships. It takes time. And it's hard to make sales calls from behind the wheel. Now, you know, if you Absolutely. want to take the time, you can do it. Um, you know, we've had people on the show that have done it, and they've built businesses with direct customers. The only problem with a direct customer, I can tell you, is if you build your business around one direct customer and that customer changes their business, you've lost your business. And I've seen and that lots of times. I wanted to share um, this email that Hank sent to me uh, actually on yesterday. Uh, it's dated April 6, 2018. Is the compliance date for small carriers to meet the FISMA standards. And this mainly surrounds, this is mainly what this is surrounding, ladies and gentlemen, is the, is the FISMA uh, standard that came down from the uh, USDA. It's not, it's not necessarily something that came through FMCSA, but it's coming down through uh, the USDA for most people that are handling uh, food shipments and things of that nature. So I'm, uh, the, the email reads as such. April 6, 2018 is the compliance date for small carriers to meet the FISMA, to f to meet the FISMA standards. The recent TIA and NITL contracts contain food safety standards set forth below. Note that while adhering to the FISMA requirement, it opens the door for waiver of CARMAC inspection, mitigation, and salvage by allowing for increased contractual requirements to be included at the discrepancy of the shipper in the name of its sanitary precautions. And one of those, uh, uh, an example of that, of the uh, stipulation that they slide into the contract broker will contractually require its carriers to comply with shippers' written instructions regarding food safety and to be liable for failure to comply with and pay for reasonable disposal instructions. Unfortunately, the floodgate has been opened for the insertion of broad unilateral shipper and broker edicts, which amount to sole discretion to reject, crush, dump product requiring costs and attorney's fees is an example of the type of language which has now become all too prevalent in broker contracts. Carrier agrees that food shipments that have been transported under the conditions that are not in compliance with the written instructions or requirements as set forth in the shipping docu document, including any seal, temperature, quality control standards, and delivery date requirements will be considered adulterated and may be refused by the shipper, consignee, or receiver upon the, their tender for delivery at destination 
with or without inspection. That, that was one of the such uh, clauses. The second one, carrier assumes liability for the result of breach of any foregoing requirements specified in this agreement or rate confirmation. Clause number three, carrier agrees that broker is not responsible for and shall in no way be liable to carrier for carriers or shippers, consignees, receivers, or loaders' obligation concerning safe and sanitary transportation of food. And fourth and finally, the determination of acceptable acceptability, salvageability, and or the adulterated stat, status of food shipments transported by carrier shall be within the sole discretion of the shipper and shall be binding on the carrier. Language of this type imposes an uninsurable risk of loss upon carriers. It circumvents the good intentions and expressed language of the FDA that its rules were not intended to address security or previously existing best practice statutes concerning cargo claims and inspections. We continue to urge strict compliance with the requirements of FISMA participation in the USSTP as a vetting standard for meeting carrier statutory duties consistent with both with both past practices and carriers insurable interests. Uh, that's the pretty much that's the meat of the meat of the email. I'm going to see if Hank will allow me to uh, reprint this and, and put this up on the. Uh, Put this up on the uh, Rates and Lanes Facebook page so you guys will have this as a reference as well. Um, but, yeah, that, so that's some of the things that, that we uh, – and I've ran across quite a few of them here lately with the with uh, with a couple of different brokers. And like you say, Chuck, you, you, you try to narrow down and try to deal with uh, certain brokers in that lane that have uh, – there's still a few good brokers out there that, that haven't uh, included these stipulations into their contracts, but it's getting thin. It's getting really thin. You know, I think sometimes we forget who's got the truck. And if you don't like the contract, don't haul the freight. Right. It's it's real simple. No, I, I don't think uh, people are taking guns and, and making you haul this freight. No, absolutely not. But it comes back down to, um, unfortunately, I don't think that we we don't have sophisticated in, by owner operators making up the majority of capacity, uh, you know, of the the truckloads that are out here in the United States, and a lot of one truck Charlies are not really that sophisticated when it comes to. Uh, reading these contracts because I agree. a lot of these contracts are 19 pages, 28 page manifestos. And we did And at the end of the day, most guys just out here trying to, you know, just really trying to put food on his table, feed his family, and keep a roof over his head. And, and contracts are written really, by lawyers for lawyers. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and poor guys don't know that, Hey, uh, I'm trying to do what I'm trying to do to, 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 to do those things for my family and for myself and be a, try to do a pretty, be a pretty decent businessman. But at the same time, you know, it's not, it's never a problem until it's a problem. Unfortunately, that's, that's my, that's the thing that I come up, you know, that's one of my fans is that, you know, it's, it's all good until we have to address something. And then by the time we have to address something, it, it is way too late and we are in over our heads and we don't know, where to turn to and what we're trying to do with our show here is just try to make people more aware. Now, you know, we can't save everybody. And, and, and some people, unfortunately, uh, you know, like you were saying, Chuck, hey, we work in the spot market. We just want to get the freight on the truck. We don't really care about uh, what's in the contract. We just want to get the freight on the truck so we can try to continue to move and do what we do. And then uh, we'll worry about the other part of it later. And unfortunately, that's the 
wrong attitude to have in this business uh, because it's becoming more and more of a minefield to navigate through some of these legal legalese in these broker contracts. Oh, I totally agree. The, uh, you know, the legal profession has, uh, you know, they've, you know, they've sucked the life out of our industry. Um, you know, that's with insurance and claims and nothing makes me matter when I'm watching late night television and the news is, um, is sponsored by these, uh, so-called lawyers, but they're more like ambulance chasers that, uh, you know, injured by a truck, we'll get you money, called, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I won't even say their name because I don't want to give them any more advertising than they already get. Uh, but it, it really burns my rear end when I, when I see this because they're, they're ruining it for everyone. And, you know, and that's a typical thing with a lot of lawyers that, you know, and that's who's doing this with, with all of these contracts. And again, you know, we have to be able to protect ourselves. And, and the only way to protect yourself, as I said earlier, is, is to be familiar with where you're going and what you're doing. It just reduces the chance of having to deal with these contracts because then, you know, if you deal between two cities and you use, let's say, six brokers or even eight brokers or 10 brokers and you know them and they give you, you know, you're loaded on both ends with. Uh, with these brokers and you get to know them, you know what their contracts are like. You've only got 10 contracts. You could have a lawyer check them all, make sure you're, you're okay. The only thing I have to caution you about with lawyers, you know, if you ever listen to some lawyers and Hank isn't one of them, he's Hank's one of us. But if you listen to some lawyers, the way they talk, you'd never want to pick up a load of freight again in your whole life. It's too risky. So, you know, if you can find a good lawyer that's reasonable and he's not going to put the fear of God into you with every contract you bring and he can go over them and maybe make some changes or maybe at least you understand what you're signing. And and those are your, you know, that is your portfolio of brokers you work with from point A to point B and, and that's all you work with. And I think that's the best way to protect ourselves. As far as insurance, um, you know, when I was listening to Hank talk on the last show he was on, I realized that we are ignorant in our industry, and this goes for small and even medium-sized carriers, um, about insurance. There's so much that we don't know, and again, it's all because it's written by lawyers. There are so many of us that think we have insurance, but we really don't. And all we've bought is a pink slip so we can buy a license plate for the truck. <laughs> Unfortunately. So I think it's something that maybe uh, has to be addressed either uh, through this show, although you know it doesn't really give anybody enough time, but certainly through those venues like what Kevin uh, offers, certainly in the, at his big CMC every year, um, where there should be somebody from the insurance industry that can talk to, you know, us plain folk in plain English and teach us what, what the insurance contract really is so that people that are buying insurance know what they're buying because it's so expensive. You know, everybody is spending anywhere from eight to, you know, I meet people that are paying $20,000 a year for insurance and we don't know what we bought. You wouldn't buy a trailer if you didn't know what you were buying. And this is insurance. Right. It's supposed to protect you, but, you know, we've seen cases where somebody had thought they had insurance, but the insurance wasn't worth the paper was written on. And so real quickly, kind of shifting gears a little bit, moving on, on to another thing. I, I came across a video earlier. Um, and it was my first time seeing it. Are you familiar with this? Uh, it's called Coop by Ryder. C O O P. No. I thought this no, was very what? interesting. It's, 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 it, I'm, I'm going to share this with everybody. Go check it out if you get a chance. It's coop.com, C O O P.com. And what this service is, is it's, Shared vehicles with the network of trusted businesses. Coop is a platform that connects fleet managers that have 
idle vehicles to businesses that are looking to rent vehicles. Coop simplifies the process and paperwork required to safely share vehicles between business owners. As, uh, find a way to find rental vehicles. Coop is a place is the place to find hundreds of vehicles to rent right next to you, directly from other business owners. Uh, try it today, and your first rental is on us. Earn revenue from unutilized vehicles. Coop makes it simple and safe to rent out your vehicles to trusted businesses near you. List your vehicles today. Generate up to $2,500 a month with Coop. Your vehicles are in good hands. All users are thoroughly checked to ensure the highest safety and reliability standards. Each transaction is covered by physical damage insurance and a $1 million liability policy. Uh, there's actually a little YouTube video that they have here on the website, but I, I was curious if you had known anything about this or if you had uh, utilized any, any of these services before, Chuck. Okay, well, it, this is very interesting. Uh, first of all, i got to tell our listeners, don't get all excited about either renting trucks from these people or renting your trucks, because if you're a for-hire motor carrier, your insurance is totally different than what they're offering. Um, what they're offering, it basically goes down to what my wife refers to as the shared economy, where people rent out their right. homes. Uh, the Uber driver rents out his car, although he's driving it. Uh, there's a uh, there's a company or a group in San Francisco where you store your sporting equipment, for example, and if you've got your skis there and they're sitting there, I can rent your skis. So it's part of, or they do tool sharing in Toronto. It's part of this sharing economy. It's it's quite interesting, um, but I don't think it can pertain to what we're doing now. I remember years ago, the closest thing I've heard about from business to business years ago, having some dialogue with someone uh, that would uh, our idea was going to be uh, to get people to share trucks, basically. Uh, large trucks in businesses where the truck was used only during the day by one business, but it could be used at night by another business. But we would have control of the drivers because of the insurance. Well, the, Remember, as, as, the go reason, ahead, Rico. The reason I asked the reason I asked you about it, Chuck, is the strange thing about it. It seems to me that I, I could be completely wrong. I hadn't had a chance to really investigate it, uh, but it seems to me that they are talking about. Uh, utilizing uh, tractors, trailers, the whole nine, the whole nine yards. Let me ask you something, Rico. Would you rent out? Would you allow somebody else to drive your tractor? Um, you it'd be a tough one for me because I don't, I don't have, I don't have enough of them to. But, but if you had a couple of them sitting on, sitting on the fence line, if they were, you know, if they were just sitting there idle, it might be a good little way. To, you know, to generate some extra revenue. Uh, it might be, you know, something something to explore. First of all, you got to remember that these are um, these are commercial vehicles used, but are licensed for hauling freight from like these are public commercial vehicles. They're for hire. All of our vehicles, for most of our listeners are what we call for hire. And, and you know when you go to um, some of these, uh, like one of these small fairs, and they've got the amusements, and you'll see right on their trucks, not for hire? You ever see that right. on the side of a tractor? Well, those right. are not for hire vehicles. Those are private carrier vehicles. I can't imagine... How, and this would be a, I wish Hank was on because he could really put this one to rest. And if, Hank, if you're out there listening, please call in because we need some clarification. But from my understanding of, of the law, um, our vehicles are what we used to call in Ontario public commercial vehicles. And, and because they're, they're licensed to haul freight, um, they're, they come under a different class for licensing. Now, you can still rent a truck. If your truck broke down, you could rent a truck from 10 skier rider and show your authority. Uh, that would be fine. But it would be, I think it would be pretty hard 
for you know for anybody like even an XPO that uses their truck on a daily run um, tied to an MC number to rent that truck out to a guy that was moving his you know moving some farm equipment or something because that truck is tied to an MC number and a DOT number. It, it's, uh, it's definitely fascinating. When I first saw it, I, and Hank definitely would probably be a good person to run it by, but they they, uh, they have a, uh, a, a advertisement getting ready to start. They have a, like I said, they have a YouTube, and on the YouTube video, they are showing uh, Sprinter vans, 18, 18, uh, 18 wheelers, trailers, the whole nine. So well, I'm not tell sure you what. they have. I'm... Go ahead. I'll check it out, and if they do rent 18 wheelers, I'm going to let you know. <laughs> right, and, and the reason I brought that up was because I, uh, you know, uh, you know, if you happen to have a situation where um, if you don't have, if you never set up with Penske or Ryder to to, to go and be able to rent a, a truck if you needed a truck or something like that. And I'm not sure if they are going to have those same type of requirements, but you know, you can't rent from Penske or those guys, you know, to, 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 to rent a truck, you got to put down a $5,000 uh, uh, deposit in order to be able to even rent a truck. And for a lot of people, you know, they may have, they may or may not have that availability sitting on a, a credit card or something like that. But for a lot of people that may knock them out of the ability to be able to uh, rent a truck and, and to continue while they have a truck. If you, you know one truck guy, and if he's having a truck repaired or something like that, and he needs to take it down, but he still needs to be able to, to, to do business or something like that, you know, it, it could be a viable option for uh, someone to look into if you can do that to, to uh, continue to, to keep your business moving. I doubt very much you're going to have the, uh, if like the scope of coverage that you're going to have, you know, they may be in a couple of big cities, especially to start. And if you know this business at all, trucks never break down in Chicago. They always break down in the middle of Illinois or the middle of Iowa or the middle of Indiana where they're, you know, you wouldn't have anything like that. Um, and that's where you do want, if you can, um, maybe you don't have to give the $5,000 if you set up way ahead of time. You open up an account with Penske or Ryder. It's, it's a phenomenal insurance for your business because it keeps you rolling. You know, and I built, um, I built a trucking business using these, uh, rental trucks. I've been doing it for, uh, I've been doing it for 40 years now altogether. Wow. And it sounds and expensive, but it's not. Let me ask you this, Chuck. If if someone has an opportunity uh, to say, for instance, they're dealing with a direct shipper, and yep. they and a direct shipper is asking them, can they drop uh, four or five trailers or something like that? Would Penske, would you, would t Penske or Ryder, if you have an account with them, can can you uh, set something up with them where you can get that amount of trailers to be able to service the customer? Sure. If they have that amount of trailers, those guys have actually, they seem to have gotten out of the trailer rental business, um, and they still have trailers in their fleet, but most of their trailers are long-term lease trailers. But there are companies out there that rent trailers, and I strongly recommend that the best thing you can do in this business, especially right now, is set up an account with a couple of trailer rental companies because trailers are sometimes it's very seasonal and you may have a customer whose seasonal needs require more drop trailers and that's one of the things that first of all comes in very handy with the e-logs number one as we all know number two that's one of the big advantages that the big guys, the Warners and the J.B. Hunts and the Schneiders, uh, that's their secret sauce is they can drop a lot of trailers. Well, if you have an account with one of these trailer rental companies, you can participate in some of these with some of these larger direct shippers, and even some of the brokers will pay you very well. Uh, they'll pay you for your trailer, and you get that business, and you don't have to wait to get loaded or unloaded. It's perfect, especially with these e-logs. And the cost of renting a trailer 
you know, versus making payments sometimes. It's not that much. The nice thing is when you're renting trailers and you don't need them anymore, you don't have them anymore. You just give them back. And the only thing you don't have with a when you rent trailers is you never built a equity in your trailers. But sometimes that's not a, an issue. You know, you should have some trailers of your own, but you know, you really need to figure out what your business is. And if your business is making sure you have relationships with shippers or brokers and hauling freight, then maybe you don't want to be in the asset business. So you don't want to have, uh, you know, 10 tractors and 50 trailers. Remember, if you own 50 trailers, you may have to have a place to park them. And depending upon where you live, parking can be very expensive. I know where we are in just outside Toronto, parking spots are going for over 200 bucks a month if you can find one. Wow. So, yeah, so if you have 50 trailers and you got to find a place to park them because you're, you just lost your customer or your customer's gone bankrupt or whatever, um, you got to find a place to park 50 trailers real quick. And, you know, right. some of our right. listeners that are out there and, and they're in rural areas and maybe there's a, uh, you know, maybe they're in an area where there's an empty shopping plaza and the owner of the plaza will give them, um, you know, he'll rent them some trailer spots reasonably. You know, you're lucky. But if you're in a place with, with expensive real estate like Toronto or Chicago or, or New York or New Jersey or L.A. or Seattle, good luck. You've got a problem on your hands. And that's one of the beauties of renting trailers. When you're finished with it, the parking spot for that trailer is their problem. You're renting that too. So it's certainly something to consider. And man, I had another thing I wanted to get into. I don't think we're going to have time I'm looking at the time now. And we're we're cutting it pretty close. We've got about uh, a little little less than 10 minutes left in the show. Um, and I'm going to try to maybe post this article that I was going to get into from uh, Inbound Logistics Magazine. It's called How to Contain Rising Truckload Prices. A very informative, very good read. Um, and maybe we might be able to get into it next week, but I want to try to post it for you guys because I wanted to, to be able to try to get it out there to you guys. Uh, but in, in this article, he basically talks about how, especially with the hours of service and everything, how most brokers are talking about that they are trying to contain the rising truckload, the, the rising cost of uh, of truckload shipping, but uh, they are saying that the new, this is very interesting, and get your feedback on this on, on, from you, Chuck, is that the, the new incentive to try to attract more newer drivers into the industry, they are saying that the, the bottom line benchmark is going to take about 60 cents per mile uh, pay increase, uh, the, the bare minimum of 60 cents per mile to attract newer drivers to the industry. What, what, what's your take on that, Joe? 100%. I think that we haven't, I think our biggest problem with, uh, with our driver shortage has been a pay problem in the industry. And that's been going on uh, for the last 33 years or uh, maybe a bit longer. Uh, when deregulation happened in the United States back you know, in the early 80s, in today's money, your union driver was making $91,000 a year back then in today's dollars. And when deregulation came into the United States and things changed rapidly, and then all of a sudden, highway drivers, rather than being paid by the hour, were paid by the mile. And they've been paid by the mile ever since. And thank God, when we went into that phase of uh, our trucking history, we had an awful lot of willing candidates that wanted to get out on the open road and uh, see the world from behind the steering wheel of a truck. And Trucking became a cultural thing, and, and there were people that wanted to participate in that culture because we were the last of the American cowboys. And they've legislated, they, they have not brought back 
regulation, but they've certainly regulated us differently, and they've regulated us through the hours of service, and they've certainly take the, taken the fun out of trucking every way possible, um, you know, from the hours of service to even the trucks we drive. You know, they're governed at uh, 55 or 60 miles an hour. They're automatic. They're, you know, they're certainly comfortable, but it's not the old twin stick with black smoke blowing out the stack and, uh, you know, going 85 miles an hour down, you know, down the road. So, all, you know, and, and breaking every rule in the book. You can't do that anymore. They, you know, they put you in jail or put you in some sort of an institution. Um, you know, that stuff doesn't fly anymore. You wouldn't get, you wouldn't get insurance. So everything has changed in our industry. So now there's no fun in it. There was that fun uh, that attracted a certain type of person. And those people are all my age, and I'm going to be 65 in July or older. And they're leaving this industry. They don't want to truck anymore because it ain't the good old days. And the young people, right. uh, you know, I have two children. They're 30 and 32. Uh, neither of them uh, wanted to drive truck. And none of their friends drove truck. And I think we're pretty standard. You know, when I have you know, when I talk to our people that work in the office, none of their sons drive trucks or their daughters or their sisters or brothers. Nobody's doing this. And the only way we're going to put people back into trucks is two things. Number one, we got to make it sexy again. Uh, what we thought was sexy is not sexy anymore. Um, these new trucks that uh, the Tesla has come out with, those are sexy. Now, not to me. I think they're, personally, I think they're repulsive. Uh, you know, just the whole idea of sitting in the middle of a truck and where the passenger seat is and the whole thing, it's just not my idea. I don't like any part of it. But to an 18-year-old, that's cool. It's got lots of technology in it. So if you give that person that truck with that technology and you pay them that extra 60 cents a mile, you're going to have people wanting to do this job. And that's the unfortunate part of it. The free ride's over. And I think that everybody has been able to take advantage of cheap labor for years. Uh, the, the shipping uh, industry, the shippers, have been able to do it. Um, the, uh, the receivers, the, you know, the abuse that have been, has been hurled at drivers for the last 35 years is incredible. You know, when you get to a, when you get to a location to load your late, um, and when you get there to unload, you're too early. Nobody's happy to see you. And, right. you know, right. you're always, it's, you know, it's hurry up and wait. And people don't want to be abused. Uh, people want to, the other thing is, people want to be home with their kids. People want to eat at their own table. They want to sleep in their own bed next to their own wife or husband. They don't want to sleep in a truck anymore. Those days are, like, over. So we're going to have to change the whole industry in order to have people want to do this work. And I do think, you know, I'm a little bit different than other people. Autonomous trucks are coming, but I don't think they're going to be here tomorrow. Not, they're not going to be running up and down interstate at 90 or 75 tomorrow. That's not happening. There will be certain areas where we'll see them probably, I'm sure we'll see them within five years. But those would be areas, where, you know, like Montana or South Dakota. And I still maintain we have one more big hurdle with autonomous trucks, and that's the lawyers. Because somebody's going to get killed with an autonomous truck, and the lawyers are going to have a field day, and that's going to slow the whole thing down. And that will stop Absolutely. progress. Absolutely, Chuck. Uh, before we get out of here... Tell the good people how they can get in contact with you in the next uh, 30 seconds there. Chuck. All right. If you need me, call me, and I'll get you set up. We've got loads going all over. I have offices in Dallas, Texas, and Chicago, Illinois, so we've got a lot of interstate activity. We have a lot of cross-border activity going from uh, the U.S. to Canada, Canada to the U.S. Uh, we have U.S. to Mexico now, Mexico to the U.S., Canada to Mexico, and Mexico to Canada. Um, if you need me, call me. Now, very important, my extension is 203, and I don't want any of our listeners to go through hell around here, so dial 203 at 800 388 4352. 
If I don't answer my phone, I have voicemail. I call everybody back. I'm religious about that. You can send me an email if you'd like. It's chuck at traffics.com. And I will return your calls. Uh, we'll pay you quickly. And again, we have freight for dry vans. We have freight for reefers. We have freight for oversized freight for decks. We have regular freight for decks from all over. There's no particular lane uh, that I can tell you about right now, but there are always opportunities. We've got a dynamic, robust sales force working at Traffics, and we can do all sorts of weird and wonderful things for you. Sounds good, Chuck. We appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come on to the show tonight. And we want to thank Kevin and Lisa Rutherford for providing us with the platform to be able to bring this show to you on a weekly basis. We are going to try to do better to try to uh, maybe do some pre-recording so we can try to keep the show going on a weekly basis so we don't have to absolutely do every show live. But we want to thank you guys, the listeners, for taking time out of your schedule to listen to the show. And we want to thank you. God bless you. Good night. And as we always say, keep it in between the mustard and the mayonnaise. And we'll talk to you, God willing, next week. Be safe out Good there. night, Rico. Thank you. Good night. Good night. God bless. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.